0: I was going to say, wow, Miss <laughs> Beber, that's good. They'll get you another one ready pretty soon. So, Once you start, we won't let you quit, so just keep it going. So if you will this morning, get your Bibles and turn with you to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and I'm not going to ask you to stand right now, but we'll get to it in just a minute. But I want you to notice the title of the message this morning. I'll take the camel, but hold the gnat. Now, what in the world is that going to be about? I don't have a clue. I'm just, I'm just shooting by the seat of my pants right now. Now, it's a, we, got, we got it in line. But it's a, a passage where Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he calls them the hypocrites. And, but he calls them that for a very good reason this morning. If you would stand with me as we read the Scripture together, beginning verse 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat... And Swallow a Camel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time we're here this morning. We just, Lord, ask that you would just be with us through the rest of the service. Lord, we thank you for that song we've just sang. That, yes, we're to take it one day at a time, every one of us in our lives. And, Lord, we just each day should be a, a glorious day for us as we live for you. And, Lord, just now go with this passage, go with this message, and teach us what you're trying to say to us in this little passage we just read. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You've probably heard of a wonderful little prayer called the Serenity Prayer. Everybody heard of that, what I'm talking about? Okay. It's written by Reinhold Niebuhr. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. But someone sent me a prayer just not too long ago through the email, and it's called the senility prayer. I don't know if they sent it to me for a purpose or if they got the wrong email. I don't know exactly. But here's what it says. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run in the ones I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. So I think they probably sent that for a reason. Now, if you're one of us that are getting older, I mean, give or take 20, 30 years, I'll be up there with you. But it just, uh, this little prayer says a lot to us. In Matthew 23, Jesus addressed the hypocrisy of a group of people that didn't like him very much anyway, the Jewish religious leaders. But Jesus didn't avoid them. In fact, he met them head on every time he got the chance. I think he almost enjoyed butting heads with them because he always came on the top side. But here, sometimes when you're already in a restaurant, you might say something like, well, I'll take the hamburger but hold the onion, something to that, that effect. These Pharisees says, I'll take the camel but hold the gnat is what he's talking about. Now, what does that have to do with anything? How can we apply this to our lives today? Well, bear with me. We're going to try to show you this. I'll take the camel, but hold the net. In this single chapter, Jesus repeats this phrase seven times. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So he was trying to get to make a point to them. Something's wrong with your religious beliefs, is what he was saying. These words are so strong that some people have even called this the Jesus rant in the Bible. I don't know if that's the case or not, but he was, he was to the point. He, he wasn't hiding anything when he said that. It wasn't so much who he was upset with as, what it, as, as of what it was he was upset t- with. And he was upset, He's already told us in this passage, with religious hypocrisy. And folks, I believe in our day and age there's a whole lot of religious hypocrisy in our churches, in our lives, in our nation. A lot of people that say one thing and do something else is really a big problem today. When you read Matthew 23, it's easy to see how these religious leaders got so angry at him. Now, keep in mind, this takes place, if you go back and read the book of Matthew, just days before the crucifixion. So this is right at the cross time. And so they were so mad at him for saying this, it just instigated them a little bit more to push for. Pilate to put him to death to be crucified, and that's what happens in a few short days. It's the same group that's going to hand him over to Pilate to be crucified. So they were upset with him. And probably this what he said to them right here did not have did have a lot to do with it. I encourage you to read this entire chapter because it's very interesting. And it's but you need to know know what's behind that little phrase I'll take the camel but hold the net. Because it's got some very important things for us. I encourage you to, again, read this whole chapter. But since we're focusing on the parables of Jesus today, this parable of Jesus, I want us to look at one of the most colorful word pictures in the Bible. Matthew 23, 23, verse 23 and 24. We just read it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint, dill, cumin... And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Did you hear what Jesus just say just said? If you didn't catch it, he just put his stamp of approval on a thing called tithing. Hello. Jesus just put his stamp of approval on tithing. A lot of people say, Well, tithing's not that's not in the, in the Bible, really. That's just, that's just people's choice. No, that's not what just happened. Gee, listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you pay tithe on mint and dill and cumin. These religious leaders were so specific and wanted to show off so much that how religious they were. They even took their little bitty plants. Now, I don't know about dill and things like I don't even know what dill is, to be honest with you. I know it's a plant. I know Judas used it sometime, but I couldn't if I had to go to the grocery store and pick it out, I couldn't find it. But they've got these little big plants, and can you imagine them sitting on their tables at dinner and counting the seeds in this? That's what they tithed on. If they had ten plants of something, they took ten seeds and gave us a tithe. I mean, they were specific about it. Now watch what Jesus says again in this passage we're reading. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint, dill, and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Jesus just said, you're doing right by paying tithes on the crops you grow, but you're overlooking something even far more important. You're leaving out the weightier things, Jesus calls it, justice and mercy and faith. What's this, though? The next line, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus said you're not to leave that undone. So what does that mean? You're to do it too. He's talking about tithing. He's talking about giving our gift to God. This is Jesus. Don't blame me. I didn't bring it up. He did. And so just uh, if you've got a problem with me, I'll apologize. But this, is, this is him speaking. You take it up with him. That's, that's not my problem. But he's telling us that tithing is important. But you know what else he's telling us? Now, for a Baptist to say this, hold your breath, because I'm fixing to shock you. He's telling there's some things more important than tithing. Do what? A Baptist just said that? That's what Jesus said. Look what he says. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. But then he says, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, I've tried to get that picture in my mind. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel? I mean, I've seen some guys with big mouths, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that. But watch what he's saying to us. For the Pharisees' righteousness was a competition. They bragged about tithing their spices. So they would appear holy. In the first part of this chapter, go back and read it, and the Jews pointed out to them that they had made their prayer shawls longer so they could walk around and be better than other people. See, they were just putting on a show. Now I know you've never seen a Christian that puts on a show and isn't really real, but there are some. Not in our church, but I mean the other churches. But there's some people that put on a front. They want you to think they're holier than anybody else. But if you were to really look at their lives, you'd see a whole bunch of shortcomings there. That's exactly what was happening with these religious leaders. Now, remember, this is the religious leaders. They bought these shawls, made these shawls so they'd be long and look important as they walked down the streets. And Jesus said, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're not even doing what you should be doing. But the Christian life is not to be a competition. It's like the two guys, good old boys that were out in the woods and hunting squirrels one day. While they were hunting squirrels, they came upon a bear and they shot their squirrel guns at him, at which it only made him mad. The bear charged them. They dropped their guns and started running as fast as they could run. His friend saw him and said, Man, I said, I've got to get out of these boots I'm wearing. So he kicks off his boots and starts running barefooted down, I mean, just through the woods. His friend says, man, what are you doing? You know you can't outrun that bear. His friend says, I don't have to outrun the bear. All i got to do is outrun you. Now, that's the way we look at it. Sometimes we're in competition with everybody that, you know, we've got to be better than the Methodists. We've got to be better than these over here, whatever it is. that's God said that's not the way it should be. We're all in the family of God. If you're a Christian, you're in the family of God. It doesn't matter what church you go to. We're all part of God's family, or should be. Now, let me assure you this. There's some people in our church sitting here today, probably, and you're not my brother or sister in Christ because you've never completely accepted Him as your personal Savior. But there's people of the Methodist church or other churches, even the Church of Christ over there, That they're my brother and sister in Christ because they have accepted Him. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian, folks. Just because you come and sit here every week. You may sing in the praise team. You may be in the Christmas musical. Just because you do those things does not make you a Christian. The Christian life is not competition. The Christian life is a race, but we're not trying to outrun each other. We should be encouraging each other. Let's unpack this parable of Jesus and see how it applies to our life. Because when you break it down, it really hits every one of us in a place we should be hit, right in the heart. The parable. First of all, I believe it's an example of Jewish humor and more. The idea of straining out gnats may seem strange to us. But that's exactly what the Pharisees had to do. The Pharisees were terrified that they might get a net in their drink, so they put a linen cloth over the top of the glass, cup, whatever it was. They put these linen cloth strainers over the cup, and they poured the water or wine or whatever they were drinking at the time, poured through it so it would filter out these nets. They didn't want to drink these things. They had to keep putting the strainer on when they poured the wine and then take the strainer off when they drank it to put the strainer back on for a refill, if you will. And so that's what's taking place. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's that's how he uses this. Jesus often used Jewish humor to get a point across. That's a per- perfect example of it right here. It doesn't sound so humorous to us because we aren't Jews living back in the first century, this century. And so we don't understand the way they lived back then, but that's what they had to do. Humor doesn't always translate into different cultures. Jesus was partial to camel jokes. If you go through the Bible, he used camels all the time to make a point. For instance, he said it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You think you could fit a camel through the eye of a needle? But that's not what he was talking about exactly, so bear with me. When Jesus said, you strain out a net and swallow a camel... I'm certain people began to laugh about that because to them that was humorous. Jewish humor was based upon imaginary, imagery, if you will. Just the idea of a a person trying to swallow a camel, I mean, that's sort of funny looking if you think about it. I heard a story about a man who was reading the Bible each night to his five-year-old son. He was reading Matthew chapter 7 about the guy with the plank in his eye trying to help the guy with the speck in his eye. As he read the story, his son started giggling. He said, what's so funny? The little boy said, Daddy, that's funny. A plank won't fit into your eye. It's too big. He got what he was talking about. But Jesus was trying to make a point that sometimes we walk around with a plank sticking out of our eye, and we try to correct somebody else that's got a splinter in their eye. And we use that the way we want to use it. So why did the Pharisees strain out gnats? The answer is because gnats are gross, period. I don't want to swallow a bug either, whether it's a gnat or not. I don't want to swallow one. That's so obvious. It should be written in the first book of duh. Duh. I mean, who wants to swallow a bug? I I don't particularly want I've probably swallowed a few of them. Now, one thing bad about riding riding a motorcycle, you're going to get some bad bugs every once in a while. And they don't taste real good, let me assure you. But there's even more to it to this story than it was to our story. In Leviticus chapter 11, the Bible taught them that all insects were considered unclean and unkosher. So it was much more than an aversion to swallow a bug. To do so would have made them ceremonially unclean. Go back to Leviticus chapter 11. Look at it. It's in there. But Leviticus chapter 11 also pointed out that camels were also unclean. So what Jesus was trying to say was that they strained out the tiniest little bitty speck of an animal, bug, whatever you want to call it, while they were unknowingly trying to swallow a camel. Now, how does that apply to us? What's the background? Let's ask the question, how does this parable apply to my life today? Let's notice a couple of unavoidable truths. Jesus endorsed tithing as a good practice. He said it's good to do. In verse 23 again, Jesus observed the Pharisees who were so con- conscientious in their observance of that they didn't just tithe their money. They tied the her- herbs in their, gra- in their gardens, the plants. They even tithed on those. The word tithe is often misunderstood. It's not a religious word. It's a math word. It simply means 10%. It's like the word quarter means 25% and the word half means 50%. I say that because through the years I've had people say, "Well, I only tithe 5%, I can't afford 10%." That's like saying I have my I have my apple into force. It doesn't make sense. I've had people, I'll never forget a young couple, this is not at this church, came to my office one day and said we need to talk to you, husband and wife, young couple had a little boy and he had some mental challenges and, and they were really broken up and they sit down in front of my office and I said well what's going on? I said well I said, I've got a problem. I said, We just can't afford to give our 10%. Do you think that Jesus will forgive us? I said well first of all Jesus forgives everything but Let me tell you, frankly, I think you're cheating yourself out of many blessings. And this young lady looked at me and said, well, we can't afford it. And I said, well, in my opinion, you can't afford not to. Now, I know I've preached several tithing messages. But let me assure you, tithing is not the most important thing. We're fixing to see what Jesus said in just a few minutes here. But tithing is very important because it's between you and God. I don't have a clue what anybody in this church gives except one person. In fact, I can't even tell you what my wife gives. Probably 5% if I'm getting. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But <laughs> I couldn't tell you what anybody in here gives. I don't want to know what you give. In fact, if you were to tell me that I had to be the treasurer along with the pastor of this church, I'd say, forget it. I'm out of here. No way am I touching the money of any church. I just don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to know what you give. I don't want to have any clue what you give. That's between you and God. All I know is how much I give. And that's between me and God. But at the same time, tithing is very important. And yes, for young couples that are struggling, I'm sorry the Bible teaches we're to give 10%. If you want to be a true follower of Christ, then that's part of the deal. You say, well, I just can't afford that. My MasterCard bill's too high, my series is too hard. God didn't charge that on your MasterCard bill. That's your fault. But I think tithing is extremely important, folks. Number one, it's between you and God. And that makes a big difference right there. Some people say that tithing's not taught in the New Testament. But in this verse, Jesus puts his stamp of approval on tithing. It may not be taught in so many words, but yet he let us know through this passage right here, it's important. And we ought to do it. In fact, he says, you should have done the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, we don't usually use words, or at least I don't, former and latter. But let me break that down a little bit. If you're like me, you just you have to stop and think what that means. Okay, the latter is the second set, justice. Mercy and faithfulness, he just said. And the former is the one thing, tithing. Did you catch what he said? You should have done the latter without leaving the former undone. He said the most important things, even above tithing. Remember, I'm a Baptist. Did you hear what I just said? Even above tithing, there's three things that are most important. We should have done them. The former is the first thing, tithing. Jesus clearly said, when it comes to tithing, don't neglect it. That's the same thing as saying, do it. I believe, teach, I believe, and I teach, and I practice that the least is the, the least of 10, first, the 10% goes to God. That's my belief. I'll be honest with you, when I get paid on payday, first thing I do is write out my church check. That's the first thing I do. Then I borrow money from Judy to pay my bills. No, I'm, I'm kidding, but it's just... <laughs> Christians' income should be returned to the Lord through the local church. Let me stress that again, through the local church. I know people that they give to Billy Graham, and there's nothing wrong with giving to Billy Graham, but your tithes should go through the local church. Wherever you're a member at, wherever you attend, your tithe should go there to support the work of Christ in that church. I believe that with all of my heart. I could share stories, but I'm not to, about how I came to. There was a time when I was one of those that said, we can't afford to tithe. We just can't do it. It just we can't pay our bills and do it. But God got a hold of me, and let me tell you this: I guess at least 35 years now, God taught me to tithe. And I've never missed a meal yet. I maybe should have missed some sometimes, but I didn't. God will take care of you if you trust him. And when you step out on faith, God's going to step out on faith for you. He's going to show you ways and things that happen. I've never missed a meal. We've never missed a bill that I know of. Except when I maybe forgot to mail one every once in a while. And it wasn't God, but Judy reminded me. You forgot to mail this. But what I'm telling you, step out and trust God. He's the one that told us to, and he's the one that will deliver you too. I promise you. That's the same thing as saying do it. Christians' income should be returned to the Lord through the church, 10% of it. Without a doubt, Jesus affirmed tithing. But the point of this statement has more to do with what, we, what they weren't doing than it does what they were doing. They had gotten so wrapped up in tithing, they ignored the really important things, and Jesus is bringing that to their attention. That's what this is all about, this passage we're looking at. We can make the same mistake. What's more than tithing to the church? I thought that was the most important thing. that it is. I thought we have to have our tithes to operate the church. We do need tithes, but that's not the most important thing. Sometimes it's hard to rank the importance of the commands in the Bible. But we sometimes think tithing is the pinnacle of everything, of the spiritual accomplishment. We think that only super saints are the ones that tithe every week. You know those people that own business in the church? They're taking care of everything. Don't, we don't need to worry about that. That's not true. Jesus just affirmed tithing to us. I've been tithing for many years, and frankly, it's one of the easiest things to do now for me. I can't speak for you. But look at what Jesus said. He said there are at least three things that are more important than tithing. I can't believe I'm even saying those words. (laughs) It just didn't sound right coming out of me. He said there are three things that are more important than tithing. He said to the Pharisees, you guys think you're spiritual because you tithe even on your little spices, the little plants. But you're midgets because you've neglected three values more important than tithing. What are these three spiritual values we should practice in addition to tithing? Number one, Jesus says justice. Defend the cause of the weak. When we think of justice, we're tempted to think about retribution. Like you and I were so proud of our military 10, 12 years ago, wherever it's been now. When they went over one Sunday morning, I believe it happened on, and took out old Osama bin Laden. We were all, oh, that's a way to go, guys. Y'all did the right thing. Y'all got that guy. But the word Jesus used for justice really isn't about a criminal justice or even punitive justice. He used the word that means the fair treatment of everyone as equal before God. That's what the word justice means that Jesus used—the fair treatment of everyone as equals before God. It's a treaty; it is treating everyone as if it were truly, as if they were truly valuable to God, and they are. It's what Isaiah meant when he wrote in Isaiah chapter one, verse seventeen: "Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless." Plead the case of the widow. Biblical justice is standing up for the needs of widows and orphans. That's why our church needs to focus on loving our widows. We need to help them, be there for them, encourage them, support them any way we can. Our church should watch over them and care for them. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. We try to anyway, but... We need to take care of them. They're part of our church, and they've got a lot of challenges in their life. Our church should watch over and care for them. Whenever a need arises, we should be able to go to them. Justice includes defending the rights of those who can't defend themselves. That's why we should stand up for the rights of preborn children as Christians. Those children cannot defend themselves. And we need to stand up and say, this is wrong, folks. You know, it bothered me, and it sort of some people on Facebook touched on it. Maybe one of y'all, but here two weeks ago today, we had that horrible shooting out in Las Vegas. 58, I believe it was, died. Is that right, the number? And whatever it was. I mean, it's horrible. And so many people were on Facebook talking about, oh, that's terrible, these 58 people died. But Then I heard somebody write a little thing that was on Facebook, might have been one of y'all. And it says, you know, yes, we should be concerned about those 58 lies. We should be. Praying for the families and all the different things going on. But what about the millions of babies that die every year? And nobody raises a voice about that very seldom. These babies that have no choice. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. The justice. We need to stand up what's right and make our voices known that it's wrong to take those helpless babies that are about to be born and literally destroy their life. But then cry, and, and I'm not, Don't please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yes, we ought to be praying for those families out there that lost loved ones. But what about the millions that die every year in our country? And we keep supporting them financially and other ways. I didn't mean to get off track, but anyway. They have a right to life. These aren't just peripheral ministries of the church. We need to be doing these things. If God's people don't stand up and defend the cause of the weak, who will? Martin Niemoller was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi rule. He stood silently and watched as the Nazis continued to eliminate the weak and the powerless of society. When he finally spoke up against Hitler, he was arrested and imprisoned. He was waiting to be executed when the war ended. He later wrote a book and he said this. First, they came for the trade unionist. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me. Folks, that's real life. We need to be careful. So the first thing that Jesus says, we ought to have mercy. The second thing he says is, help those who are suffering. Mercy is more than just compassion, which means to feel the pain of another one. Mercy is putting that compassion into action. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in thought, but in deed and in truth. That's God speaking. I didn't say that. Can't you see these Pharisees been over their tables at their homes, and, man, they've got these little lies trying to count these itty-bitty seeds. Now, I understand mustard seeds are really little. Can you imagine them trying to count it? Okay, I've got all these plants. I've got to figure out how many seeds I've got, and I've got to pay a tithe of that much, 10% of it. They're dividing up the oregano, the basil, the rosemary, the garlic. But Jesus' point was that while they're counting seeds, people are walking by their houses perhaps hungry and in need, but they're being ignored by the religious leaders. And, folks, I believe that applies to us right here because every day we sit in this room, people walk by on the street out behind me, and they've got needs while we're in here praising God that we're such good Christians. Sometimes we might need to look in the mirror and say, am I doing all I can really do? Am I really doing what I need to do? Be careful that you don't become so meticulous in your religious practice that you miss out on the main thing that God's calling us to do. Make a difference in the lives of people in this world. That's what every one of us are here for, to make a difference in their lives. I don't care who they are. Yes, we've got a lot of people that come in this office. I mean, it's... I've been in the ministry now for over 30 years and I've never seen in my ministry as many people walk in the office as they do here. I don't know if it's because we're on this highway right off the main highway. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because the military is very influential. I have no clue what it is, but I know this. It's almost daily. Maybe not quite daily, but at least weekly. People having needs. We can't meet them all. We're not a wealthy church. In fact, Rocky, the one we contact in case you need anything, call Rocky. <laughs> I'm kidding there, but it's uh, he's our dickhead that's in charge of it. But anyway, he was telling me the other day a lady called the church and she needed thirteen hundred. wasn't it, thirteen hundred dollars to pay her rent? He got to talking to her a little bit, and she lives in Waco. But that's not the worst of it. She wanted him to bring the thirteen hundred to her so she could pay her rent. I mean, come on, folks. We've got to be sensible somewhere along the line. I didn't mean to get off of that, but, it's, but it's, it happens all the time. It's happening here. And I wonder how many people pass this church on Sunday mornings and have needs. And we're in here enjoying the music, having a good time, laughing with each other, enjoying the fellowship while people are hurting outside these doors. I believe God intends us to make a difference in the lives of hurting people. There's also mercy. Help those who are suffering. And then the third thing we see that Jesus tells us about is faithfulness. Don't put your faith on display. Put it in action. Tithing their tiny seeds in the temple gave the Pharisees a way to display their dedication and holiness for all the people to see. Look at me. I've grown all these plants. I have even given my plants to God. Aren't I holy? Aren't I what people need to see? And God basically says, not interested in you. Because you're fake. You're fake news. <laughs> but that's the way a lot of Christians live, folks. We go through life wanting to look at me, how important I am. Look at me at what I gave last week. Look at me at what I did for the church last week. Look at me and what I'm doing. God's not impressed with that. He says, let me see you put it into action. Let me see you do something outside this building. Let me see you make a difference in Copper's Cove, Texas. Let me see you go out and make a difference in somebody's life. Faithfulness, tithing their season and temple, gave them that arrogance they had. But it was just a way to show off to others. There's a difference between faith and faithfulness. Faith is something you have. Faithfulness is something you do. It means our actions must be consistent with our profession. I can go downtown and tell everybody, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing at my church. Man, I'm just doing all this work and everything. But unless they saw it in action, it doesn't mean anything. They've got to see it being done. They've got to see us... Doing things to help people. The ministry of helping people is more important than religious activity. So the bottom line is God's interested in how you manage your money. Yes, He is. And He wants you to honor Him with a tithe. Yes, He does. He's interested in every area of your personal life. The websites you look at, He's interested in. The drugs. they didn't sound like drugs. The prescription drugs you're taking, He wants to know what you're involved in. How you care for his temple, your body, he wants to be interested in. It matters to God. Your personal morality matters to God. But if your concern for personal morality doesn't lead you to helping help hurting people, you've missed the point of what it's about. What's the difference between tithing and justice, mercy and faithfulness? Tithing is a matter between you and God. Nobody else in this church other than the one that counts the checks, and it's sure not me, has an idea of what you give. And believe me, she's not telling, I promise you. <laughs> justice, mercy, and faithfulness demand that we deal with people. And remember which one Jesus said was the most important. You need to do the one, he said, but don't neglect doing the three. Mercy, justice, and faithfulness. It's easy to slip into that lie that the Christian is all about me and God. That's what it's about, me and God. Yes, God wants you to have a personal relationship with him, but it's because he wants you to be his hands and his feet that he wants you to be there. He wants to use you in his work. God isn't interested in saving you just to take you to heaven. That's not his main concern. God wants to use you to do something to make a difference in somebody's life. That's every one of us. If if you're here today and you're a child of God, that's your desire for God, to do something that makes a difference in somebody's life. Whether it be witnessing to them, whether it be helping them with something. Maybe they've got a house payment, they just can't pay it, and you help them pay that. Whatever it is, are you helping them? Grace is not just a gift gift. You put it in your pocket and save it until the day you can bring it out and say, Okay, here I am. Let me into heaven now. Here's my grace. I had grace by God. God has showered his grace on you so you can give it away to others. These words to the hypocrites weren't new. Jesus was simply repeating something the prophet Micah said back in the Old Testament. In fact, Micah chapter 6 verse 7 through 8 says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rounds, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. God wants you to tithe, yes, no doubt about it, but He doesn't want just your money. He wants you totally. He isn't looking for religious activity. God's looking at you and saying, the people of the world are suffering. What are you going to do about it? And let me close with this, a true story. I read this just recently. Ivan McGuire was an experienced skydiver with over 800 jumps to his credit. In 1988, he was planning to jump and film the other skydivers with one of those cams on his head as he goes down. He remembered to turn on his camera and check the batteries, but he forgot the most important thing there was. He forgot to put on his parachute. He jumped out of the airplane. He fell to his death, obviously. Some of the footage from the damaged camera was used by investigators. State Police Captain Ralph Brown investigated his death and commented, it appears he reached for his parachute and he didn't have one. You could only see the instructor and the students falling on the camera, on the video. The release for his parachute is on his right hip. And when that ha- right hand goes down, it sounded like he might have said, Oh no. Right after his hand came into view. Captain Brown said he was 99% sure McGuire was never wearing a parachute. He said he was so preoccupied with the excitement of taping the show, I think he forgot his parachute. How tragic. He strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. The Pharisees didn't get the joke about the gnat and the camel. And even though the joke was on them, it went over their heads. They were too busy counting the seeds, the little bitty things that they would give to God. Look how good I look doing this. There were hurting people around them who needed justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Is this a joke? Is the joke on you today? Are you straining out gnats and swallowing camels? When we major on the minors and minor on the majors, we're straining out gnats and swallowing camels. The gnats are the little... Piddly little rules we insist must be followed to be holy. For instance, you have to dress in a certain way. You have to carry a certain kind of Bible or listen to a certain kind of music. If you really want to be holy, I've seen gnats destroy churches. I knew of a church over in the Texas County area where we came from. A good friend of mine was the pastor there. He's not anymore. But this was a church that's running probably about 250. I'm a good sized church. The church literally split and almost went out of business. In fact, I would safely say, unless it's changed in the last three years drastically, they're down to probably not as big as we are. And they were running 250 consistently. They split over what color carpet to put in the church. Folks, let's don't be concerned about what hangs on our walls or what we put up. Let's be concerned about the main things we're here for. That's swallowing a gnat, straining a gnat, and swallowing a camel. And, yes, it happens in churches all the time. There are churches that go out of business. I read an article just last night. Across the United States, over 5,000 churches a month go out of business. That's not, all, that's not just Baptist churches. 5,000 churches a month go out of business. That's straining at gnats and swallowing of the camel. Let's don't be that way. Let's get the right things right and do it for God and see what a difference it makes. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, we come to the first time of invitation. Lord, I don't know the hearts and the needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl here today, but I do know this. This invitation stands open to them. You know their hearts. Lord, our first and most foremost prayer, if there be anybody here that does not know you, that today is the day of salvation. That, Lord, they would step out and come to know you in a personal way, not just in a religious way, but in personal way. That they know that Jesus is in their life. Lord, there may be some here that are looking for a church home. There may be some here that just said, I just need to bow these steps and pray. I've just got away from God. Whatever the need is, we're not going to tarry long on this invitation. But, Lord, I just ask that we would just, you would move in our hearts whatever the need. Don't let us swallow the gnat. Strain on the gnat and swallow a camel. It's too important, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.